Welcome to a special episode of Texas Wine and True Crime. I'm your host, Brandy. This week, we are continuing the conversation about the recently solved case of Mary Catherine Edwards. My guest today began his career as a patrolman for the city of Henderson in Deep East Texas. In 1995, he joined the Rust County Sheriff's Office as a patrol deputy and served there until he was hired by the Texas Department of Public Safety in October. He served 10 years as a trooper in the Texas Highway Patrol, eight years as a sergeant in the Special Crimes and Criminal Intelligence Service, where he focused primarily on illegal gambling, outlaw motorcycle gangs, and drug trafficking. He has an associate's degree in criminal justice from Kilgore College. He's a husband, a father of three, an avid outdoorsman, a born and bred Texan, and currently in his eighth year as a Texas Ranger. Please welcome Ranger Brandon Bess. Brandon, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having us, Brandy. The uh, the Rangers really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this case, and we look forward to other cases in the future that we solve and visiting with you about them. Yes, um, you guys are doing some really great things. Um, we've covered the Texas Rangers on a few of the cases. So really excited to get your take on um, the Mary Catherine Edwards case, which you were very involved in. And um, I had uh, last week, we released that episode about the details of her case. So I thought we maybe we could start at the beginning of when you actually entered the investigation. So when did you become a part of this investigation? And can you tell us more about your role in the Mary Catherine Edwards case? Sure. Probably back in, I don't know, 2015, 2016, uh, even into 2017, my Beaumont Police Department partner, Detective Aaron Llewellyn, and I worked on several cases together, some public corruption type cases, some homicides, robberies, different things over in Jefferson County, which is Beaumont, which is where Catherine you know, was born and raised and where ultimately was murdered um, and is now buried. During several of those investigations back in the day, the district attorney – um, who's officially known as Judge Wortham, Bob Wortham, visited with Aaron and I about some cold cases that, that were in Jefferson County and specifically with Beaumont PD. Prosecutor, first assistant district attorney Pat Knopf also talked to us about the cases. And that one main case that they talked about was Catherine Edwards' case and how, you know, so many people in Beaumont were, were touched by Catherine because of her role as an educator, her family's role in the community over there, and that it's just one of those cases that had, for lack of a better term, it just haunted the Beaumont and Jefferson County, all Southeast Texas from 1995 on. The, the case started in January of 1995, but in January of 2020, uh, Detective Llewellyn and I were at the DA's office and having a sit down about another case that we had just cleared Um a public corruption case that we were working on. So something totally different from homicides, but something that Rangers oftentimes get involved in. And several of the prosecutors that we were sitting with said, Hey, you know what? We, we think it's time. We need you guys to dig into this thing. We want y'all to get after it. And judge Wortham, um, the district attorney again, judge Wortham asked us, Hey, whatever y'all need to do, whatever there is to do in this case, don't worry about funding. Don't worry about anything else. We got you just get after it. So, that was a long time ago. I mean, it was it was and it seems like a long time ago because COVID hit right. about the same time that January 
time frame, especially late January, is when everything was going down with the coronavirus and mm-hmm. we didn't know what was going to happen. Everybody started working remotely. We couldn't be around each other. It was just very difficult. But we kicked it off um, in January of 2020 with Detective Llewellyn and myself. That's great. So tell us about, okay, so I was reading um, how the DNA had solved this case and how genealogy played a role. So this interview is actually taking place because of two great guys, David Middleman and um, Michael uh, Vujin, who who work, the CEO is actually David, and they both work for Othram. So this was a collaborative effort, um, and their website, dnasolves.com, this case is actually listed there, along with other cases that they have been a part in. So this collaborative effort was between the Texas Rangers, um, as you mentioned, the Beaumont Police Department, and Othram. So can you tell us a little bit more about this collaboration effort after all of those conversations took place? What were those next steps? David reached out to us in 2018 when Othram was first starting and it, that's my guess. I believe that's when mm-hmm. Othram opened Yes, up. it is. So mm-hmm. David reached out and, uh, you know, told us what they did, uh, what they hoped to do and how they hoped to do it, and if we ever had any cases to get with him. So since 2018, I've, I've worked with David and his team and our team at the DPS Crime Lab on several cases and how the private labs could tie into these um you know, these state cases, these, these especially Let's pause. murder cases. So you you were mentioning um, talking to David over at Othram in 2018 when they launched. So, yeah, so, um, we're learning a lot about just what Othram has been doing. And so tell us more about that collaborative effort. Yeah, David reached out to us, reached out to the Rangers in 2018 when they were getting their start about cold cases. Uh, David had looked and obviously seen our cold case website, saw the number of cases that were in Texas in general, but specifically the company A, the 35 counties that are around the Houston and Beaumont Nacogdoches areas that the company A Rangers covered and offered his assistance in those. We worked with David and his team with our own crime lab, with our own crime lab personnel, um, to be able to talk about what Othram could offer that we didn't have available. So, you know, for your regular policeman um, trying to digest everything that was available and digest this new, these new processes that basically just go back to family trees um, was pretty difficult to understand. Um, You know, looking at the Golden State Killer case and how that was done is where we all, started learning about this and what you could do and how you could do it based on DNA that you have. If that DNA was good DNA, if that DNA was bad DNA. So David started teaching us, for lack of a better term, what can be done with genealogy, mm-hmm. what can be done with degraded DNA that maybe the state and federal laboratories can't exactly do. And again, working through our own scientists to come up with game plans on those. And we've, we've worked together since 2018 on several cases we've got we've got cases going now with them in hopes that you know the the processes that othram has is going to be able to help us move these cases forward and and the Catherine edwards case is a prime example of success and how we can succeed together with private industry and with our 
state and federal resources. So right. we we met, uh, David um, came over to the Jefferson County District Attorney's Office. We sat down with the prosecutors, um, Aaron and I, him, the prosecutor's office, everyone that would be on board. We talked about this case. We talked about what evidence was in this case and what was really, really good about this case was we had a solid single source male DNA profile. That profile obviously had already been loaded into the CODIS system and had been in the CODIS system since about 1999, 2000 timeframe or so. Mm-hmm. And no, no quote unquote hits. And I know your listeners know what a, right. what a CODIS hit would be, but there's nothing there. So we've got who we not who we know, but we know we have a good, solid male DNA profile. We know we've uploaded that to compare against everyone who's been entered into the CODIS system over the years with nothing there. So the next step to that process is starting genealogy, starting genealogy with our law enforcement partners, as well as David and his team doing target tests, um, you know, running this thing down to the very end. And it was a very uh, very difficult case. I don't know, you know, I won't quote David, but I'll, I'll tell you that as we went through this thing, because of the lineage and the ancestry um, of the suspect in this, it was an extremely difficult set of circumstances, not because it was bad DNA, but because the family trees were just so large, for yeah. lack of a better term. There were so many people involved in this. It was extremely difficult, but in the end, we worked it out. How long did you guys work on this? I'm going to say, you know, start to finish. January is when we opened the case, but again, COVID just put a stop to everything except, you know, our our hot cases that we went out and worked on, the homicides, the rapes, the robberies, the corruption cases that we actually had to go out and, and work on. We couldn't do these, I hate to call them, side job but you know these were the things that had been laying there that you couldn't do what you needed to do you couldn't meet with the people face to face you needed to meet with we didn't have processes in place for that at the time now we've we've grown and learned we can do we can do anything from the kitchen table almost now that we could do that we couldn't do before um we kicked this thing off um probably january time frame of this year of 21 and they started working family trees. Uh, Detective Aaron Llewellyn that I've talked about before, his wife, who is Detective Tina Llewellyn, as well as David and Trey over at Othram and their teams, as well as um, we, we had another person that joined, uh, joined us, Shara Broussard LaPointe, who joined us in this. People volunteer their time that are just very enthusiastic about genealogy and just, you know, it's their hobbies, it's their love. And it takes, it takes so many different eyes because it is, it is a science. There's no doubt about that. And that's what David and Trey and the team at Othram and our DPS crime lab, Tanya Dean, they work on the science part. But when it comes down to the genealogy, I'd almost say it's more mathematics and it's more a person whose mind can wrap around how is smith kin to jones how is jones kin to morgan how is morgan kin to diamond and which one of these people which way do we need to go it's a very difficult process but between the team that that we assembled and that david and his team already have assembled Mm -hmm. it's pretty easy 
Uh, it's pretty easy on the policeman side of it anyway for yeah. Aaron Llewellyn and I just doing the police work wasn't bad at all for all the smart folks that we had involved. I think it was very difficult. Yeah, if you go to the dnasolves.com, you can just see how many cases that they've solved, you know, and who they've been working with and just how quickly it seems like they are getting onto cold cases and being able to do that. I'll tell you, this this past um a couple of weeks ago, we covered a case about phenotyping. And this was something I was not familiar with. And it's basically taking DNA from an unknown person and somebody coming up with traits and characteristics of what they would look like at, you know, I think we did 25 years old, 45 and 65 for this suspect. And then they ended up tracing it to um, a family member who was, um, you know, a little bit further down the line, but they actually came up with a picture and they actually solved this case by now the person is deceased now, um, the the um, perpetrator, but it was amazing. I mean, they literally came up with a picture that just looked exactly like him and had no idea. He, they didn't know anything about him. All they had was his DNA. It was it was pretty amazing stuff. Yes. No, no, it's it is. It's unbelievable. And it's, you know, it's unbelievable what we could do last year compared to this year. It's unbelievable yeah. from 2019 how far the science has progressed, uh, but especially since 1995, 1996, yeah. how far we've progressed since then. It's it's um, not to say daylight and dark because that's not far enough away from each other. <laughs> I know. It's, we're in a different galaxy than we were operating in when I started law enforcement. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got a, all us old policemen are – Though most of us don't feel old, us old guys that have been around a long time, we, we talk about the term, the invention of DNA. And obviously, DNA has been around forever, but 1999 is when we say, well, that's when we invented DNA, and that's when we started catching these guys using their DNA. Kind of a funny term that's used amongst policemen, but the advanced methods that we have now in DNA and genealogy and you know YSTR testing and being able to eliminate people or to add people and to create profiles on people that we couldn't do in 1995 and 1996 and mid 2000s has just grown so much that um, it's just amazing. It really is brandy what we can do now as opposed to what we could do back then. Um, crime fighting is at an all new level. It really, really is. Yeah. And we're seeing that. I mean, I'm, we're, I mean, I'm seeing updates weekly about cases being solved through DNA genealogy, through phenotyping, through all of these different methods. So it's great to see this. I feel like more cold cases are going to get solved and um, more families are going to get some answers. So it's just it's just great all around. But I do have another question. Why do you think it took so long to identify a suspect? You know, we've looked back that this case file was just huge and we call it a case file so a misinterpretation this case boxes and boxes and boxes of information that was obtained in this was it took aaron probably 40 hours just to put this thing together to be able to take all the documents that were there to line them all out to get them all in a good working order 
um, from the photograph to the crime scene to the statements to all these different things that have been done over the years. There have been three different rangers, maybe even four different rangers that worked on this case with the Beaumont Police Department over the years. And we didn't join the investigation until about 1999. So it was an overwhelming amount of information. I say that to answer your question. There was a huge amount of work. I mean, every resource that the Beaumont Police Department had was thrown at this thing back in the day. You know, the the chief of police in Beaumont now was an officer back then when this was going on. And he was involved in this investigation. There's so many retired people that have reached back out to us that were involved and said, hey, you know, I don't know if we documented this about this person or that person or the other, and they had everything that they had done was so well documented. The case was so well put together. So how they, how they missed him. Um, I think it's just, uh, it just, it was what it was. I hate that term. I Uh, I hate to even use that term, but I think there's just certain people that don't pop up on the radar you know, the old the old term that you see in a lot of the old uh, police movies from probably the 50s and 60s were, you know, quote, rounding up the usual suspects. Mm-hmm. Well, that was done in this. Every, you know, sex offender, every person that, that had ever done anything weird mm-hmm. uh, around Catherine's area was looked at, was interviewed. There were polygraphs done. There were covert DNA samples that were collected from so many people. You know, it's it's a pretty well-known piece of information now that um, Catherine was handcuffed and um, Mm -hmm. policemen, prison guards, uh, security guards, anyone that could have had their hands on handcuffs. And you can imagine we're talking about hundreds or thousands of not hundreds of, but hundreds or thousands of people that had access to handcuffs, the serial numbers on those the handcuffs that were used were even uh, ran down as far as they could run those down. And, and unfortunately, the serial numbers are fairly generic, mm-hmm. so that didn't run any leads. Just every, you know, everything they could do yeah. back then, I believe, was done. I didn't see, and, and we do, we can Monday morning quarterback 20, 30 years later and go, you know what, if they would have just done this, if they would have just done this, we didn't see this in this case. We didn't see anything and he didn't fall through the cracks either. So it's a hard question to answer of how Clayton mm-hmm. Foreman slipped through. You know, again, it's a, it's another well-known piece of information now that he was connected to the family, that Catherine was in his wedding. I know. Um, that went to said, school together. I mean. They went to school together. Uh, Clayton and her brother, who's recently passed away, unfortunately, uh, were classmates, not necessarily friends, but were classmates. Mm-hmm. But there was a there was a family connection. I think that there was one disconnect. It was that he, again, another well known piece of information now about this case was that he um, had been convicted of a sexual assault some twelve, fourteen, fifteen years prior to this bad act. He had been convicted for it but received a probated sentence of, of some sort. And as a result of that probated sentence was not required to register as a sex offender. So if there was, you know, one key piece that was missing on Clayton Foreman, it was that he didn't pop up on anyone's radar as a sex offender from the area. Uh, But again, that's, that was, uh, that was the judicial system for the Mm -hmm. day, 1981, 1983, 
he received this probated sentence and basically his case just went away. It's on his record, but it didn't make him register as a sex offender the way we do now. Right. Things just falling through, you know, like just missed. Um, But I mean, I was even reading, you know, I don't know what else Beaumont Police Department could have done. I mean, it seems like they just tried and, you know, like you said, talked to the sex offenders and, and, and really just tried to do their due diligence in this case. And um, but there is a suspect identified. And um, so let me let me ask you this. So it's been just a few short months since your move into the cold case unit with the Texas Rangers. Do I have that right? Yes. Okay. So I, I just have to know, what is your daily mindset as you examine these cases? It has been, I guess I've been the cold case ranger since April the 26th, the day I was appointed to that position, which uh, was actually my 25th anniversary as a member of the Department of Public Safety. No correlation there. It just so happened. But congratulations it is. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's a it's a it's wonderful. It's just an honor, an honor uh-huh. to be a part of the Rangers, number one and number two, to be able to to be involved in these cold cases. And you've got to have a passion for it. Absolutely. And I think that's that's really what I wake up with every day is that driving passion to be able to, you know, help these agencies to be able to hopefully bring closure to families. And and yeah. another word, I said that earlier, a word I hate to use. I don't think there's ever closure for families, mm-hmm. but I think there's a sense of healing that I've seen. I've been fortunate enough to be involved in three solves of cold cases with partners. I didn't solve them. My partners and I working together with families and with prosecutors and with, you know, the evidence that we had, we've been able to close three cold cases in the last a year and a half or so, you see a sense of, um, again, not closure, but you see a Mm -hmm. sense of relief. You see a sense of um, giving them answers that they didn't have, of living living for years and years and years without answers. And in one case, it was, you know, a family that reached out to me to reopen a case that they felt like they knew who the suspect was Mm -hmm. uh, and that that guy had just never been – never been caught. And sure enough, they were 100% right. It was the family's driving force behind the Patricia Jacobs case that got that one solved, that they never gave up, that they never forgot, and that they made continual phone calls to law enforcement to, to open those up. So, you know, I go yesterday, I spent all yesterday in Harris County, you know, a, a county that's got some three and a half, four million people in it. I don't know how many unsolved cases they have, But I go over there yesterday to meet with their homicide uh, bureau at the sheriff's office. Then I go meet with the district attorney's office to discuss a couple of those cases. And it is just, you know, I guess the best answer is when you do something you love uh, and you get paid for it, it's not really working. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I feel every day when I go out there, when I'm meeting with these people, when I'm looking at these cases. It's an absolute love of my job. You know, I'm, I'm. towards the end of my career, but I feel uh, just as reinvigorated as I did when I was a a one-year highway patrolman out there writing tickets and working wrecks and arresting drunks. It's just, it's exciting. Um, It's exciting to be able to open these cases and and allow the rangers to assist these agencies that are so overwhelmed with cold cases and hot cases, as we call Mm -hmm. them, and all those things that they've got to do. It's, it's, 
just a great feeling. Do you ever get to meet the families of these? I do. After they're solved and, and look at their faces. I mean, what do you what do you feel when when they get that news? It is, you know, it's absolutely wonderful. Two of the cases that that I've been able to work on. Uh, I just mentioned the Pat Jacobs case. That was mm-hmm. a Jefferson County case with Port Arthur Police Department. And then a case uh, down in Seabrook, which is Galveston and Harris counties, um, the Susan Eads case. I have become just really close friends with both those families, the Eads families and the Jacobs families. Matter of fact, uh, before we started talking, the one of the members of the Jacobs family called me. We call each other brothers and sisters. I mean, we're just mm-hmm. it's different than working our regular cases, our, quote, regular homicide cases. You don't get those connections that you do in these cold cases. These cold cases, these families, it's very important to stay connected with them because they have information that we may not have. You know, they have information about the case that may not be documented. They may have been talked to by someone at some point, interviewed, and maybe a name was brought up. So, yes, it is. It is. um, I bet you it's it's a great feeling. Yeah. It really is. It's it's an overwhelming feeling. It's an overwhelming feeling because it's such a, a team feeling. It's it's like um, I've been the quarterback of three Super Bowl football teams. Is what I felt like. Like oh. we've 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 won three yeah. cases, and you know my goal is to be able to solve ten of these. That that kind of sounds like a low number, uh, and I hope it is a low number. I hope that through Authorum and through our DPS lab and my partners, Tanya and Aaron and, and all these folks that I work with that we're going to get way past 10. They just take so long to work. There's so much that you have to do on them. Um, it's truly an overwhelming feeling. You feel the family's pain. I think you should, if you're doing this job, right. Sure. You feel the family's pain. Well, and you also almost see their desperation a little bit and, and, and looking, I mean, if I'm speaking to a Texas Ranger and I know that they're involved now in, in a missing persons case of, of one of my relatives, there's a sense of peace. I think maybe they would feel and knowing that now you guys are taking a look at it, you, you know, they, they, again, you're building this connection, building this relationship and they, and they can count on you and they can, and you are going to answer your phone when they call. And not a lot of people can say that. And I, and I think that the passion comes through your voice, which is always nice to hear on the other side. So we don't, I don't get to talk to many people that just absolutely love their job so much after 25 years. And um, I think it's just great. I think it's great what you guys are doing. Um, and I do want you to kind of tell real quick before we get into another question. Tell us about the Texas Rangers website. Brandy, the Texas Rangers have a website uh, and it's through the Texas Department of Public Safety. If you do a simple search of Texas Rangers cold cases, that website is usually the first one that pops up. What we have on there are highlighted cases that the Rangers are involved in throughout the state of Texas. There'll be a picture of the victim. There'll be some information about each case. There'll be a contact number. There's a link that the person can click on to submit We get those emails uh, into Austin and Waco, but they're immediately sent out to the ranger that would be in charge of the investigation. So it's a great website, um, very well managed. There's cases that have been solved that you can read about that are on there, um, information about who the suspects were. But on the active side of it, that website is just it's easy to to 
work through. It's easy to look at. You can look at all the companies. I think you can even put in a name, say, you know, a, you know, a name of a victim. You want to make sure that that victim, uh, say, Kathy Page is the case that's um, in my area. Mm-hmm. I think you can even search Kathy Page. It'll pop up the information. It pops up contact information for those. So it's a great website to look at, to look through uh, for folks that may want to submit a tip. Yeah, uh, it can be done anonymously, uh, and I think most of the tips that we, most of the tips that I get are anonymous. Nine out of ten are. Okay. Um, it's it's a great website and it's a great tool for us. Um, one of the cases, one of the three cases, that's how I got the initial contact was through the family oh. member emailing. Through that, I reached back out to her, my sister. I reached back out to my sister now mm-hmm. and. Um, was able to to get in touch with her, reopen that case, and within great. within a year we had solved it. That's great. I did take a peek at the website. Um, I encourage all of our listeners to take a look at that website. It will be. Um, I'll go ahead and put it in our show notes because so people can just click on it and take it right um, right to it. But again, you can read. And I always say it just takes that one person. It just takes that one person to see something, to remember something. Um, and so please, please, everyone, go check that out. Um, it, it is really just a, a great way to, you know, keep up with different cases that are going on in Texas. Okay, so Brandon, I do have another question for you. Is there one particular case that keeps you up at night? You that, know, there's... Just that one case that you want to see solved. You know, there's, I'd say there's one, and there's one that really got me started in my um, pursuit of cold cases. Right after making Ranger in 2013, I started opening up old literal case files, you know, pulling out files from a filing cabinet to mainly see how Rangers wrote reports. I came from an intelligence investigative side. We wrote intelligence reports. We wrote, you know, drug investigation reports, but we didn't write homicide cases. We didn't write sexual assault cases. So I wanted to see how my old partners um, had written their reports. One report that I pulled out was an unsolved uh, of a young lady named Christy Wilson. It was in Liberty County where I'm, where I'm office now and where I was initially stationed. Christy Wilson's family um, was still alive for the most part at the time. Her, her husband, or would have been her widow, widower, mm-hmm. was alive and her sister was alive. So we reopened that case, started looking at new evidence in that case, or not looking at new evidence, looking at the old evidence in that case. Uh, and it is a case that's on our website. Um, unfortunately, her, her husband and her sister have passed away during that investigation. We only have one remaining family member who happens to be a close friend of mine who's a county commissioner in Liberty County. And every time I see my buddy, he asks me about it. You know, is there anything new? Is there anything we can do? Do you really think about those cases, the ones that, you know, you've lost people, those people passed away without having those answers that, that haunted them, not their entire lives, but haunted them since the death of their family. Um, Since becoming a ranger, I've got two new ones that are law enforcement related. Um, one in Harris County and, you know, another – actually, they're both in Harris County. One actually is a Harris County Sheriff's Office investigation, mm-hmm. and one is a uh, Houston Police Department investigation that both have family ties to law enforcement. One was uh, was happened on Christmas Day in 1980. Uh, Estella and Andrew Salinas 
were murdered on Christmas Day, uh, a mother and son. Another is uh, Karen Douglas. Literally, I just opened up yesterday, and that happened two days after she turned 22 years old in 1981. This beautiful young lady um, was, was assaulted and murdered in her own home. Those kept me awake last night thinking about how do I get started on those cases. So yeah. I'm afraid as this job goes along, there's going to be a lot that keeps me awake at night. You know, and, and we do. We wake up in the middle of the night thinking about these cases, sure. coming up with, hey, what about this? What about this? What if I do this? Do I need to make sure I call this person? I need to write these notes down and I keep a, a book by the bed. Mm-hmm. And my wife has kicked me on many a night through my ranger career and my you know investigative career when I yeah. – turn the phone light on and scribble something down or, you know, it happens two or three times <laughs> during the night that she, yeah. uh, you know, she's, she's aggravated with me, but that's when those moments come to you and you have to think about them. You have to hope that because you think about cases, because you worry about cases and that's just me. I know yeah. my partners are the same way. My, my local partners, I'm not talking about my ranger partners necessarily, but the Rangers are just a part of these agencies, especially in the cold case program. We're, we're just there to help. We're just there to be another team member. Mm-hmm. We're just there to be the, not just the quarterback, to be the, you know, the bench sitter, to be the water boy, to be the, uh, the lineman, the nose guards, you name it. We're there to play yeah. all roles with those. And I know those guys think just like we do. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned um, the Christy Wilson case. So what was it specifically about that case that just touches you so much? You know, a lot of things. Christy, just this beautiful young girl, hardworking, um, happy-go-lucky, newly married, you know, a newlywed, um, working at a convenience store, Leaves that convenience store at closing time, is seen parked on the side of the road talking to a couple of men. Um, That case, you know, thinking about how Christy left work that night, how Christy's seen on the side of the road, how her husband's waiting on her to come home and she doesn't come home. And he knows she should be home in 15 to 20, 25 minutes from where she lived in Liberty to where they, I'm sorry, where she worked in Liberty Mm -hmm. to where she lived in Dayton. And his initial fear was she had broken down. He goes out and looks for her. He finds her car on the side of the road. She's not there. Again, his fears that she's broken down, looks around, looks around, looks around, can't find her, finally goes to the police station. You know, a, a hunt ensues for her, and they don't find her until like 9.30 or 10 the next morning, murdered, and mm-hmm. her body dumped by a body of water uh, in Liberty, close to Liberty in Chambers County line. Mm-hmm. That one haunted me because I have a daughter, you know, sure. and I had a daughter at the time. And I think, you know, what if that was my daughter who was mm-hmm. 19 years old, 20 years old, who was moving on with her life and doing things and working and whatever, You know, how would I be as a father? How would I be? I'm married. How would I be if that was my wife? Um, Just how much work went into it? How many people had touched that case over the years? Mm -hmm. Um, How many people that that she had touched in such a short period of time? And I think all these cases have that to them. I think all these Mm -hmm. cases have that um, that personal um, you wind up being able to get. I hope that's the right word more personal with them because you have to learn who your victim is. You're not, um, you're not just rolling up on a crime scene where a person's been murdered and you're trying to find the bad person at the time. And you're, you know, you're just boom, boom, boom. These are all that stuff's already out of the way. All that initial 
emotion, all that initial uh, work at the crime scene has already been done. So your connection is who was this person and your hopes of when you learn who that person was, how does that get you to a suspect? How does that, well, there's DNA that gets you to the suspect um, or what, you know, that's, you know, Christy, just the picture, I keep a picture of um, every one of my victims on my office wall, the solved and the unsolved. Every case that I get on these these cold cases, as a matter of fact, my solves, I actually keep in my closet where I get dressed every day. I have a picture of the solved cases to remind me of why I'm putting that uniform on every day to go to work. That's uh, it's powerful. That's why we do what we do. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really a good powerful. reminder. And that that was a daughter. That was a son. That was a nephew that was a whatever that I'm trying to um, get answers for. There is somebody. That's what I always say, right? Whether whether they're missing, um, whether they have been murdered and now they're a cold case, whether they've been solved, they were somebody and somebody wants answers. Somebody's looking for them. Somebody wants to know what happened. And I think it's just absolutely wonderful um, what you're doing. I think the Texas Rangers... Um, and, and by the way, before we before we kind of close to the end, can you just for people that don't know, um, tell us just about the Texas Rangers. What what parts do they play in the state of Texas and how do they work with other with other departments? Sure. So the Texas Rangers are the the oldest state police agency um, in the nation, if not in the world. Uh, we were we were formed in August of 1823. So Texas Rangers have been around longer than even Texas has been around. Kind of funny, but that's incredible. That's, that it really is. So we've evolved through the years. Obviously, when the Rangers were formed, they were more of a, a, poli- a military type force, protecting the border, protecting the citizens who were immigrating to Texas, that sort of thing. We've evolved through the years into a um, regular detective agency, to, to put it plain and simple. But to be a Texas Ranger, you have to have at least eight years in law enforcement. Okay. You have to have been a member of the Texas Department of Public Safety. The What most people in Texas know is the Texas Highway Patrol. They see the black and white cars out there on the highways yep. that, that do what they do. So every Texas Ranger today was a state trooper. Most of us promoted um, into a, a different division, say it's our criminal law enforcement division, whether it's as a supervisor in the highway patrol, those sorts of things in our intelligence divisions and in our narcotics divisions. And then most of us promoted every ranger in Company A uh, promoted from the highway patrol into another division before they promoted into the rangers. Okay. Um, rangers are, are very experienced investigators uh, and they become very more experience very quickly for the large number of counties that we cover. I think most every ranger has three counties that he covers in this area, some more. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're actively involved. Our primary mission as the Texas Rangers is to assist local law enforcement with major criminal investigations. That's that's mm-hmm. the number one primary objective of the Texas Rangers. We have tons of other things that we do, but that is the primary objective of the Texas Rangers. And there's currently uh, 171 Texas Rangers uh, for all of Texas. And that includes our command staff, lieutenants, captains, majors, assistant chiefs, and chiefs. I think there are 125 
of me, ranger sergeants. So okay. Investigators. Well, that's great. Thank you for doing that and, and sharing that. We, we've we talked about the Texas Rangers before, but it's it doesn't get any better than actually coming from a Texas Ranger. So um, I know our listeners, they've had questions before about what roles you play in Texas, because, you know, you see some cases and you see Texas Rangers are involved when a lot of people don't know why, right, or what that means um, for an investigation. So thank you for um, sharing that. And thank you really for just um, telling us more about the Catherine Edwards case and just kind of shining um, just light on the investigation and, and how it was um, ultimately moved from cold case to solved. And I hope you come back and talk about Absolutely. these other sol- solved cases and everything you guys are working on. Absolutely. I, well, I'm looking forward to to getting uh, Catherine's case to trial or yeah. worked out whatever we do there and um, yeah. these other cases that I've talked about. Um, I really, really hope that uh, we can get these things wrapped up. And absolutely, we appreciate you asking the Rangers to be involved um, yes. with your podcast and getting the word out and in hopes that that very thing, that somebody goes to our website, just like you said, what, what you said nailed it is that we hope somebody goes and looks at a website and they remember where they were. They remember something that they may think is just a trivial piece of information mm-hmm. that may break one of these cases. And it's we, we yeah. believe that. We know that's what happens in these cases and how a case doesn't get to be 30 years old because it was easily solved. It gets to be 30, 40. You know, we've got cases that are 50. I think the oldest on the site is 54 years old. Wow. We believe there's still somebody out there that can help us with that 54-year-old case because people talk. Sure. Suspects talk to each other. They talk when they're in prison. They talk when they're on the streets. They talk um, whenever and wherever. So that's our hope that people reach out to us and send us that information. Yep. And I will um, be putting that again in the show notes. So please, everyone, take a look at that. Uh, browse through it. It really is just great to see these cases um, solved and then just ones that are still uh, looking for answers. And, you know, you could be that one person, you know, that heard something or saw something. Uh, so, Brandon, thanks again. Um, but we're not done yet. So you did tell me you have listened to almost every episode of Texas Wine and True Crime, which I do appreciate. Uh, then, you know, at the end of every show, I always highlight an organization where our listeners can just learn more about different foundations. So, Brandon, I had asked you to do the honors this week and share an organization that is close to your heart. So what did you decide to talk about today? The 100 Club. Okay. Tell us more. So the 100 Club is an organization in Houston that supports law enforcement. Unfortunately, most of that support is when a law enforcement officer or firefighter is killed in the line of duty, killed in action. Mm -hmm. And um, the 100 Club was founded, I believe it was 1953. It was a group of men that got together and said, you know what, we need to support law enforcement uh, we need to support their their families after they're killed and firefighters. I need to say that law enforcement and firefighters, if they're killed in the line of duty uh, back then, uh, life insurance wasn't a, a big deal like it is now. There were a lot of folks that didn't have that. And even today, when a law enforcement officer or firefighter is killed in the line of duty, they have families, they have bills, they have all these things that uh, they have working against them when they pass away or their families do. That's where the 100 Club steps in. I'm actually an advisory 
a board member to the 100 Club. They do just lots and lots of wonderful things, but that being the biggest thing. The 100 Club encompasses primarily a, I believe it's 22 counties in the East Texas area. But as a Texas Ranger, what I can say is they cover the entire state of Texas for any state police officer that's killed in the line of duty. So that's a Texas Ranger. That's our troopers. That's our criminal law enforcement special agents. That's our game wardens. Um, that's our OIG investigators. All the state police um, members are covered by the 100 Club. So those five men, going back to that, reached out to 100 people and asked those those 100 people for $100 to put into a fund. And that's how the 100 Club started. Today, there's over 32,000 members of the 100 Club. Oh my goodness. Um, they provide scholarships to law enforcement officers. They provide funding and equipment, not funding. They provide funding for equipment to law enforcement. The Department of Public Safety just in the last couple of years has received a uh, robot that is used by our special response teams and a um, truck. Uh, they call it the Bearcat, which I think is actually the brand of the truck that is used to do these very high risk arrests and these very high risk raids that we do on suspects. I've actually been out with that Bearcat when uh, my partners, Ranger partners are in that Bearcat and it receives gunfire. I've heard the gunfire strike it and know that Mm -hmm. that piece of equipment saved Rangers lives. Um, Mm. The robot that they provided, and we're talking about a half a million dollars worth of equipment just in those two items that I've told you about. That's what the 100 Club does. Their website is the100club.org. Great organization, great people, uh, very small staff. I think they have four full-time employees, but again, it's 32,000 members strong. You can join that organization for $100 a year or a lifetime membership for $1,000. Great organization. Um, This year, we've lost a trooper in the line of duty, Mm -hmm. and the average the average um, payment payments that are made to families are over three hundred thousand dollars. They completely eliminate any debt that that family has. My goodness! They eliminate their house notes, they any credit card debt, any vehicle loans, anything. So the surviving spouse and the surviving family can get on with surviving and and working through things. They don't have to worry about. Um, bills. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a wonderful organization that does fantastic things for law enforcement and firefighters. Well, and I think that is really the the struggle when families go through something like this, right? They lose a, they lose someone who may have been, you know, bringing the, the breadwinner or just having that income that is no longer there. Uh, they have kids who might be in school and a, a house note, cars. I mean, those are the things. And then you have to, you're, you know, you're losing a loved one. We, you don't need to be worrying about all those other things, right? Those things Absolutely. at the end of the day don't really matter. What really matters is that loss of that loved one. So, man, I've never heard of the 100 Club, but I will be joining the 100 Club. And this is um, this is just as big. I, I can tell I can tell this one's going to be really close to my heart, Brandon. So I'm, awesome. I'm really glad you brought this one up. Awesome. Well, they're they're again, they're great people. Uh, their executive director is a retired uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife game. Warden. So he's a law enforcement officer who knows the struggles, who knows what the he, he knows what the families are going through. He's He's lost friends, um, as we all have in law enforcement. He knows those struggles, as we all do. That's why all of us are 
try to be so actively involved. I'm a member. I've been a life member for, for gosh, 20 years now of the organization, but I've seen what it's done for families. I've seen the stress that it relieves in, in the worst, you know, worst possible situation. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing this up. Um, friends, I will put this information in the notes as well. So you can um, visit the 100 Club and um, become a member just like I'm about to because that is, um, it's just I can't. I when you said said three hundred thousand, and it just clears every. I mean, what a relief! Like, I mean, just on their heart, and they can focus on what really matters, and and that's it's just giving and giving to families and people, which is what this world needs. So. Absolutely. I really, really appreciate you bringing that up. Um, all right, Brandon. Well, thank you so much for being on today. And even more importantly, thank you for serving our great state and really just trying to help families get closure and answers for their loved ones. Uh, I don't think the Texas Rangers are talked about enough. I don't know. Maybe they are. But in the podcasting world, they need to be talked about a whole lot more, which is why, which is one of the big reasons that I do this. Um, so thank you, Brandon. I hope you come back. Um, it was an absolute pleasure having having you today. Well, it's, it's, Brandon, it's an honor to serve the people of the state of Texas as a Texas Ranger, such a historical group. But as much as that, to be able to work with some of the finest um, police officers in the world here in Texas is just yeah. really, it's really great. So I yeah. appreciate you highlighting us and having so many kind things to say and getting the good word out. Well, thank you. And thank you, listeners. And please go ahead and check out the show notes for all of these websites so you can um, get involved as well. And a special thanks to David Middleman and um, Michael over at Othram for making this interview possible. Um, as we mentioned before about Othram, it is the world's first private DNA laboratory built specifically to apply the power of modern parallel sequencing to forensic evidence. They are doing some wonderful things. They are located right in the woodlands, not too far out of Houston. So um, I'm proud of Texas. I'm proud of what's going on. And um, I'm, I'm really proud these families are getting answers. So thanks again, Brandon. And until next time, friends, stay safe.